Hey, Kings fans, welcome back to another episode of LA Kings Corner, the podcast for the fans, by the fans. Welcome to this week's episode. It is November 19th, 2023. Kings just finished with a pump show. A pump show of the Blues last night. And then a gritty little game against Florida with Matthew Kachuk coming to the house. A little bit of a nice little Kachuk dowdy action. So fans, thanks for joining us here. Uh, it's Ryan Marvin, Joshua Norse. Hey, Josh, what do you think of the – what were the takeaways from those two King, Kings games this week? Well, my, my takeaway from the two games, obviously, because there's only two games. My takeaway is this, and I, I want to go back to the – I digress to the Philadelphia Flyers game when we got down, right, and then uh, the Philadelphia Flyers were able to kind of park the bus and play a little anti-hockey against us, and they were able to come away with that win. And, right, and we looked real – I guess the, the narrative is that we looked real bad. I think me and Corey or Corey and I were talking about on the live stream. It didn't really look like we played that bad. It just like, it just wasn't happening. We couldn't figure it out because of the way that Philly was playing. And I think that's the way that teams want to play against us. I don't think they want to let us get up and down the ice. Like I think that we want to, I think we want to have this offensive fluidity and this flow and this tic-tac-toe passing. And, and, uh, and we want to play an offensive game. Uh, but what I take away from the two games from this week is, that it's nice to know that we're able to do both. However, we got a lead in both games. So when we were able to get the lead, that means the other teams have to attack and they have to press us. And we're still afforded to play the style that we want to play. Now in the Florida game, uh, it was a tight checking game, but we got the two nil lead and we were able to, we were actually still able to, while still trying to play an offensive game, we were still able to tighten it up. Now, granted Florida was missing uh, Montour and Ekblad, two of their top four defense. That's a real big deal, right? Big deal. So, we, uh, you know, luckily we were able to take advantage of that. But then, so we were able to play a tight checking game against Florida, who's a real good team. And then against St. Louis, we got another lead and we were able to light them up and we were able to keep going. So, what I the takeaway from the two games is it's nice to know that the Los Angeles Kings, we can, we can do both things, we can play a tight checking game. And we can run it up if we want to. And we continue to score goals. So that's nice to know that we can do both. But and I think this is the, now again, the biggest takeaway, I think, is it's almost imperative, I think, that the Kings get a lead. Now, obviously, that's every team's plan. But for the Kings to, to get out and get a lead so that we can dictate the pace and we can dictate the game and we can play our style, and then they might the other team might have to get out of their comfort zone and attack us, I think that's the style that ultimately we want to play. So, but again, I think it's nice to know that we can do tight checking and we can continue to get up and down. So that was, that was a real good to see in both games. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I mean, you think back, right? We just can't, the Kings just came off of two fantastic wins, right? They beat Florida and they beat St. Louis. But the thing was we had six days. Was it six days off between our last game when we got pretty much shellacked? by Philadelphia. So they had some, they had some time to go back to the drawing board. They went back, you know what I mean? Maybe took a couple days off, uh, got back to practice, maybe got back to watching video, tighten some things up in practice. And they came out and I think they played a good game against Florida, who, like you said, was missing a couple huge players on their back end, um, came out, got that quick one early with Fiala. And then they had another one uh, later on in the game to take the two, two, nothing lead that power play goal, by Kopitar was beautiful. Um, and then we're able to hold on there at the end. You know, another one goal game for for Talbot. 
on Thursday against Florida, and then he played fantastic with some really timely saves there against St. Louis. Um, and the Kings started hot again, up for nothing. And interestingly, like listening to the broadcast last night, they meant, made mention of this. I'm sure you heard it. They were talking about the last time the Kings played St. Louis, they got up five nothing, and they ended up winning in a seven six game last March. So I don't know what it is about the Kings in St. Louis and their high scoring affairs. Maybe there's some sort of like Wayne Gretzky connection from when the Kings traded Gretzky to St. Louis. And so like ever, ever there's some, some aura there, but uh, nonetheless, they did, they did a really good job. And I thought Talbot locked it down when he, he needed to make some big saves and the Kings had to kill some penalties. Um, and we can dive into to either of those games a little bit more, but just the key, t- key takeaways uh, for me, they played with a ton of speed. Um, they, they played with a ton of speed. All four lines were rolling. And um, and then they had, you know, good goaltending. Special teams look good, too. So I think, you know, everything's clicking. Um, but it's like, you know, you, you, you don't want to get complacent at this point. You got Phoenix on Monday coming up, going into the week. Um, and and they're, they're playing good hockey, too. Right. So we got to take care of business and keep on sticking to the fundamentals of what what made you successful. Um, like you said, being able to play both styles. But most importantly, it seems like getting out fast is really important for the Kings. Yeah, for sure. And I, you made mention, uh, I, I think specifically against Florida, the Kings penalty kill was real, real good. And it needed to be because they still even missing those uh, those two two of their top four defensive and they still got some big guns out there. With Barkoff and Chuck, and even Ekman Larson can play. They got right. I mean, they got some guys that can really move the puck around. And the Kings did a real good job killing penalties. Uh, with again, so moving to the the St. Louis game, I was saying this to you before we went live here that the only drawback of a pump show is that it's real tough to get live stream content when you're when you're going doing watch alongs. But yeah. I only say that to say this: it would be real easy for the Kings to get drawn into some bad habits when the game's over after the first period. And I don't think they did that. I mean, I think they, they did their best. They did what they could to, to not do that. So there's two goals there when it's a pump show, don't get into bad habits and don't take and, you know, don't get hurt, you know, do your best not to get injured. Unfortunately, we didn't come out unscathed there. Blake Lazat went down the tunnel. I know he wasn't at practice this morning, so I hope he's all right, but um, the Kings didn't, I don't, as far as I can tell, you know, it's human nature to let your foot off the gas a little bit, but I don't think that they that they got into too many bad habits and that it was it would be easy to do so against you know when you're up four nil after one. It certainly would. It certainly would. It is so hard. Why why is that human nature? When you get up, you take it easy. Sometimes I do the same thing in business, right? Like you start off the year hot, you get a couple big deals, and then it's like, oh cool, I can just kind of kick it for a little bit. And then the next thing you know, you haven't done any business development and you're like scrambling to get more business. And the Kings, I mean, I think Honestly, dude, like St. Louis came out and they made a push in the second and they had some chances. But like I said, I think Talbot's performance has been so good looking at his numbers today. I mean, he's top five in the NHL in every category right now, which is unbelievable. 36 year old coming in. Um, yeah, you wouldn't expect that. You wouldn't. You know, I, I couldn't call. I didn't call that before the, you know, the start of the season. He just does. He do, when we talk about our goaltending and what we need out of the goaltending before the season started, he just does what we what we were asking for. There was a play, you know, went cross ice, and the Blues had a chance, but he just slid over. He stood tall. He was square to the shooter. He made the save. I mean, that's that's the type of goaltending we're looking for. We're not looking for anything too flashy. Just just make the saves that you're supposed to make, and that he's actually doing that, and he's making some saves that he probably shouldn't. 
So it's it's all clicking for Cam Talbot right now. Yeah, and you know what's also good too? Like I think the thing that, you know, as a Kings fan, I know I obviously was a big Jonathan Quick uh, guy. Um, and, you know, he definitely struggled there at the end. But it's nice to see him doing well in New York as a backup to Shesterkin, right? He's 4-0-1, and, and I think his numbers are, like, probably better than they've ever been in his career. Right, right. So, yeah, that is good to see. You know, and it's, it's, uh, that's, that's, that is good to see. And it's, But that's, uh, I think, maybe I could have called that one. Maybe we could have called that one. You know, the Rangers play a pretty structured system. And Jonathan, Jonathan Quick has always thrived behind that. So, you know, I don't think it takes a genius to know that he would go out there and perform well. So it's, yeah, it's good to see him go out there and, uh, in his, and essentially what is his hometown, uh, hometown club. And he's, he's performing well. It is good to see. So, you know, obviously you, you want to see Talbot get a shutout, right? Uh, he, you're playing the game. You've dominated territorially. You've dominated pretty much statistically in every area. Um, and the blues, the blues goal, you know, late in the third period becomes very clear. We're not going to win this game. So let's crack this egg. Right. Um, man, I really feel like that could have easily been a goal that could have been stopped. It was a, it was a one-on-one and I think, you know, um, England had him positioned to go to the outside and kind of just stopped skating right stop closing that gap on him a little bit and wasn't able to get stick on puck and he just had enough time to really go and pick his spot and i'm kind of looking at where you know talbot's feet are just on the just on the top of the crease his heels are right at the top of the crease right there um it's always a bummer to see that you know what i mean you want the goalie to get a shutout you really do you want that for his stats for his numbers but also just to you know to to make a statement defensively as a team yeah yeah, England, it looked like England, I think maybe this is just part of the human nature thing that we were talking about, uh, uh, but he had a real lazy stick on that. Uh, it looked like he could have got over and affected that shot more than he did. Uh, what did it go, short side on Cam? But in, in so, any case, yeah. he, uh, yeah, England could have made a play on that, but maybe he was just thinking, you know, maybe that was, maybe that was a bad habit thing there because he could have got stick on puck, I feel. But, oh, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure Cam wasn't tripping about losing the shutout. I don't think goalies uh, – it would be nice to have. I don't think they care that much, you know. The the win is the first thing overall, right? But, yeah, I mean, the, sh- having a shutout, pitching a shutout, and, I don't, and I'm not a goalie, so I don't know what that what that is like, but a shutout probably feels pretty damn good. Yeah, right, right. Probably, it's probably like scoring a hat trick maybe. There's yeah, a few things. and far between, something like that. Um. So Fiala's got a couple goals lately. What have you thought? I remember last time, and I'm not opposed to saying like when I when I make a mistake on my takes. I know people don't do that. They, you know, ESPN guys, they keep their jobs and they make mistakes all the time. Horrible takes, right? Uh, I thought I thought putting the lines back together after the Philly game was something that they should do, but with the performance that we saw, obviously the win against Florida, I think was key. And then last night they looked really good, especially the fact that all four lines got on the board. Um, what did you think about Fiala and his play with Dano and more? And then, and then also maybe, could you t- tell me what you thought about the other three lines as well? Well, I was with you on that. I was, uh, I wasn't in agreement with, shaking up the lines in order to quote unquote get Fiala going. You know, that was a clip that, that we sent out there. I had a little rant about Kevin Fiala 
still, now, not to double down on an already wrong take, but my uh, my takeaway from the Fiala, from Kevin Fiala was that, that would have happened anyway. I, I just I feel like he's so gifted and he's so talented that all you had to do was keep sending him over the boards, and eventually it was going to It was just going to happen. Uh, I don't know how much. But, well, I mean, Dano had a, was real instrumental in two of uh, Kevin Fiala's goals this week. So Dano does make a huge difference. He's real good, but. Um, I, I still feel like Kevin Fiala is going to produce on no matter what line you put him on. And allow me to just be consistent real quick. Because when I was saying last week about how I didn't like the move to put Fiala, you know, to mix up the lines and, and you know, and have Fiala kind of bear the brunt of whatever it was that we were trying to do, we did it to Dubois. And, you know, I have I have my feelings and thoughts on Dubois, but we we switched up the lines and put Dubois between, I think it was Jared Aronson, Dolan, and somebody else against Florida. And I didn't agree with that either. Because I I don't want I want Dubois to be the one B whatever the guy that we brought him in and the way you do that is to keep putting him over the boards right so I was in disagreement with changing the lines as it pertains to Dubois too, um, but going into St Louis, the line I think Dubois was between Kaliev and Laferriere and I looked at that line and went well that those are two quality players that I think that Dubois can play with and obviously they had that beauty well tic tac toe goal, um, but as far as the lines as a whole, that top unit with Byfield being super competent and confident is an absolute unit. That line really can't even the on the first, I think it was the first goal. Byfield's entry into the zone on the power play, he made a quick stop on a dime just to avoid a four checker, and we were able to set up. And I'm like, this is this is a sign of a guy who is confident out there and wants to be out there and is not afraid. And then he ends up getting the goal, right? So that line is a unit, even though it was a power play goal. Uh, that line is a unit. Then you have the Fiala, Deno, and Moore who are going. Then the Dubois, Laferriere, Kaliev, which looked really good. And then the fourth unit is uh, always going. I, I was, it seems like they seem like they're always going. Lazar obviously gets the goal 19 seconds later or whatever. And I was telling Corey on the stream, you know, we did a for or against for Trevor Lewis last week. Uh, Trevor Lewis seems to be doing his job. It doesn't seem to be doing. I mean, we broke down that goal. There was a little blunder there, but yeah. Trevor Lewis seems to be. He has a. He has an objective. He has a goal out there, and it seems that like he accomplishes it every time he goes out there, including his line mates too, with Lazat and Grunstrom. Ah, oh, that's so good, man. That is so good. So, would you be for or against swapping uh, on on occasion swapping? Leferriere out of the lineup and bringing in Anderson Dolan so that they could both be getting some reps. And then, yeah, would you be for or against that? Well, short answer is uh, yes, I think. Uh, I would be for that, although I would I would probably substitute Jared Anderson Dolan for somebody else as far as an in-season competition on that. Someone like Samuel Fagema, who you just reclaimed, who scored a goal in Ontario. Uh only because it seems like Laferriere and Fagamo could be similar players. And they're both, they both seem to be gifted offensively. They both seem to have that little bit of, of knack. And I would like to see, you know, some guys get under the bright lights. Some guys can thrive. Some, some guys can dive, let's say just for rhyme's sake. Um, but I would like to see, but if we're, if we're talking still, Laferriere and Anderson Dolan, yeah, I'm down with that. You know, I'm down with a little in-season competition. I don't think it could hurt. Uh, anybody, uh, actually, I think you know, 
if you have that competition, you know, some guys will rise above and you get to see, you know, the character in certain guys. So yeah, I'm with that. Although I would probably make the competition um the Ferrier and Fagamo. With uh with the same question in mind, for for and against, um would you would you swap Tobias Bjornfort in with Andres England? That's a tough one, you know, because I'm a big Tobias Bjornfort mark. I've, I've I've always loved his game. Uh, I I thought I think that the Kings have kind of rattled his cage a little bit with the constant up and down and up and down. And when he gets in the game, it's it's he's on such a short leash. Then he makes a mistake, and then now he's now he's in the press box, and I I feel like they've definitely rattled his cage a bit, and his numbers, you know, I think he had the times that the minutes that he had this year so far, I think it's been about seven minutes a game. And you look at the analytics, you look at the numbers and they're not good um, again, but this is a guy that you've made an investment in and you got to find out what you truly have. I don't think that the Kings have found out what they truly have with Tobias yet. Um, and I, I, you know what? I don't suspect they'll ever find out. I think we'll find out when Tobias is on a different club. Uh, but would I swap him out and by for or against it? I will say I'm against it because I think Andreas England has has played his way onto the club. And I never thought I would say that in the beginning of the year. I was ready to have England be a whipping boy, and he has he has removed that from the equation, I feel. Because he's he's just he's one of the tough he's a he's a necessity back there, I think. And he has shown, he has proven to the club that he will answer the bell. Uh, he will provide the physicality if it needs to, if it, or if it comes to it. And he'll even drop the mitts if it comes down to it. And not even just that, he's willing to get pumped for his club. And I like that. You know, So I would say, would I swap him? I guess all right, right now at this stage, I would say no. Adrian Kempe has you know, ha has scored 40 goals last year and is on his way to scoring 41 goals again at the pace that he's at. He's got eight goals in 16 games. Um, do you think by, with the way that he's playing and with the depth that the Kings have, and I've asked him you know, and I'm hoping that he can, but do you think that this is a guy who can score 50? It's a lot of goals, you know, um, do I think that he's a guy that could score? Yeah, I think he's a guy that could score 50. Do I think he's going to score 50? I, uh, I don't know. That's tough. But he is a guy that could do it. You see him, he scores that breakaway goal, and he just has the it thing. Yeah. The little Sally, he just knows that he can score. That's nice to have. When's the last time we had a guy that knows that they can score? You know, even when we got uh, – we brought in Kovalchuk well past his prime. It didn't look like he knew that he could score anymore. Now we have a guy that Adrian Kempe gets the puck on his stick. And we're thinking that this is a goal threat. It's been a while since we've had that. So he's a guy that could score 50. Will he score 50? Uh, if I had to guess, I would say no, but he could do it. I want to take a quick look at the, uh, at the Dubois goal last night. You know, I've been, I've been a little hard on Dubois because, you know, he's coming in with this huge contract, right? Like, and, and he, what has he done to kind of get to 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 be at that level where you know what I mean you're making 150 grand a week sort of thing to play hockey every for the year you know it's a it's a big that's a big chunk of change to dump on somebody I mean he's making more than Fiala he's making more than Kempe he's making more than 
you know, Dano, um, and and you were talking. We were talking about the line change. You know, it 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 impacted Fiala, but it also impacted Dubois. But it didn't seem to change the way that he played at all. Like I think I like that about him. And there's another thing. Obviously, the reason he's wearing number eighty is because of uh, Matisse. Clavinkis or whatever his name was who passed away who was his teammate there in Columbus and obviously we've got a connection to Matisse through um through Dallas who's part of the corner family and and uh so I mean to me man that's like always big kudos to him too when we found out why he he was wearing that number um just gonna break down this goal real quick it's a beautiful beautiful one touch play and it's and and where they are able to make this play is actually i mean it's kind of disappointing for um it's it's disappointing for st louis i think you've got to let me uh share my screen here real quick so here it is three on three at the blue line right st louis has got to be looking who's got who right uh, 72, he's got the puck carrier Dubois. We got Spence, the back checker is responsible for him. Krug is supposed to take Kaliev on that far left side. We let that roll. Now we had a little switch happen, right? So, uh, 72 still on Dubois. He's got way too big of a gap. That's two, two, two stick links. And that's in my mind, that's why this play happens. Falk is way too far back. So they're able to crisscross right here. I mean, this this should not happen. Boom. Yep, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful goal. So it's really nice to see him, man. It's nice to see him score. Um, and when he celebrates up against the glass, it's almost like that scene, like, are you not entertained? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like me, Corey and I interpreted that Sally differently on the live stream. We were saying it's hard to tell whether this guy cares or not. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I was like, well, I would love to see a smile, dude. Yeah. Like smile. Yeah. You just sell it. You just scored a sick goal in the national hockey league. And the key is, I mean, I know there's so much humility and like play down that happens in hockey versus football. You know, we see, you, we see guys when they do something, dude, they are so celebrating that play. It's a different sport. There's a lot more games. There's a lot more flow. It's a more team oriented game than an individual oriented game, but still, man, when you do something well, you have to celebrate those because our human mind focuses on the negative and the mistakes so much that like by emphasizing the celebration, you're reiterating that you did something great and you're brief and you're etching that in your brain, that confidence, right? Yeah, sure. And when you don't acknowledge that you've done something good, then it's hard to tell. I mean, this is obvious, but then it's going to be hard to tell in the future whether you're doing good or not. You know, so then it's like you can get in these little ruts where you think, well, am I doing anything good? Probably not. Maybe I'm just, you know, then you can get this, you know, the negative self-worth gimmick going on. And so, yeah, it's important to, if you do something good, it's all right to pat yourself on the back. Go ahead, bud. Yeah. We want to see you celebrate, dude. They can't, you got 18,000 fans in there celebrating for you. Maybe that's all you need, right? Just to take a moment and be like, yes, you yeah. know, like. You know, and another thing about the goal, and I'll, I'll say this just to, because sometimes I'll say things, you know, I'm kind of hesitant to put Jordan Spence over. Let me put Jordan Spence over. He makes a pass. All right. And then immediately he's getting his feet up ice. He's getting his toes up ice. He's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he makes a nice little catch there. 
from Gavrikov's flip pass that could have easily bounced away. He did it, maintained his focus, caught it, entered the zone, and made that play. So he was a crucial factor in that too. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he, he uh, and he stayed on side. Later in the game, he put himself on side on a similar rush where he was leading the rush from the middle and he made a pass, you yeah. know, um, and uh, from the center lane and then went offside there. He did a nice job getting the line, you know, center lane drive, you know what I mean? Driving Falk back. And that's probably partly why Falk was out of position there was because you had that center lane drive that drew, drove him back. Um, yeah, great play. Beautiful play. And, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, that second period, a um, little bit of a back and forth. The Kings were on their heels. St. Louis was trying to get into the game. How crucial was that goal at the end of the second by Fiala? Well, hard to tell. Hard to tell how crucial it was because we we're probably going to cruise anyway. But it did. It did. Uh, well, it sealed the deal, really. Because uh, theoretically, if you go into, I remember when I was playing junior, our, our coach, when we had a certain deficit, our coach used to say this. So you can break this down now into two separate games, right? Going into the final period. Let's say you're down four goals. It's a 10-minute period, right? You can get, all you need is two chances, right? And then in the next frame, the next 10 minutes, all you need is two. It's not necessarily insurmountable. I mean, in the NHL, it's, it's going to take a lot, right? As opposed to whatever low-level junior hockey, but. It's not that insurmountable, but when you get five, it's 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 the game's over pretty much. It's certainly, and I think we talked about it like in the beginning too, right? When we were getting ready here, you want to start things fast. You start the game fast and you finish fast. You finish strong, right? First two minutes of a period, last two minutes of a period are super important. And so with them being able to pop a goal within the last two minutes of that, that period to make it five, nothing going into the third, then yeah, then there's definitely some a conversation of, well, what, you know, what are we playing for now? Right. Yeah, exactly. Let's look at the schedule here. So we've got, uh, Kings, Kings are playing Phoenix on Monday, I believe Not tomorrow, tomorrow. We'll be live rumble.com slash LA Kings corner, twitter.com slash LA Kings corner, youtube.com slash LA Kings corner. We'll be live on all that. Nice. 6 p.m. Pacific. Oh, I like that start time. That's that's my <laughs> so much better than 7:30. So much better, man. You know, I would love to know why why it's a standard across the board 7:30 start time on a, on weeknights. You know, I can get I can maybe get behind on a Saturday night game or something like that, a Friday night Saturday night game if you want to do that kind of thing, but why why is it across the board 7:30 p.m.? Yeah, we talked about that, and it, it would be, I mean, I don't know. Well, I guess for Crypto.com, it's a little complicated with the Lakers and the Clippers also going, so you have to find other times. But, I mean, if the Kings can have the day slot, I know typically we don't do well with day games, but I'll take it. You know, and I, I don't, I, I think it would be so nice if the NHL just had a standard across the board. Every team's going off, particularly on a Saturday, which that's the big hockey day. If everybody went across the board at 4 p.m., whether it be Eastern or Pacific, everybody just goes at 4. Because these 7.30 games we talked about, it's, it's just, especially on a Tuesday or like a Wednesday or Thursday even, everyone's getting, well, depending on where you're going, but you're getting back at midnight. This is crazy. 
it's 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 bad it's bad for people's lives really you know what i mean like it it's impacting their sleep it's impacting their their next morning you know it's like um and then i can't imagine too like the players like they practice in the day all week long and then you know what i mean they're trying to get their system ramped up to play a game at night if they're on the road then they got to catch a late flight back they get late you know to get in late and um you know, football obviously only has one game a week. Basketball, their games, are, I guess, are at seven thirty as well. So maybe there's something to it. Maybe it's the nine to five grind that they're just trying to cater to, and let's keep people tired and yeah, we'll keep them celebrating. You know, <laughs> going to a hockey game and yeah, yeah. I, I uh, you know, we talked about we we did talk about this before. Maybe we didn't clip it or anything, but if from from the NHL from a business standpoint from the nhl it whoever is buying a ticket to the game you already got their money that business is already done you know and the, what they need to do is not so not so much worry about the attendance. they always put the attendance out there because they want to make sure they want to let you know who's the big markets and who's the small markets and who's going to the game and who's not it doesn't matter whoever's going to the game is going to the game you already have their money you already have their business the business is making the television product better that's what the nhl should be doing finding a way to engage the television audience because if you engage the television audience which is what is bad about the nhl the television ratings are always down if you find a way to get those television ratings up then more people will buy a ticket to the game so the the businesses stop caring so much about getting people in the building because it doesn't matter so much fix the television products you know they they have to revamp it entirely to uh to engage a new audience because right now as it stands hockey the nhl is such a niche market but it doesn't have to stay that way it's like we people say this all the time if Connor mcdavid or leon dreisaitl is walking down the street no one would notice them you know and that's that's a big reason the nba is so popular is because you can recognize any almost every anybody that walks on the street you know who it is. Oh, that's LeBron. That's D'Angelo Russell. That's Paul. You know, you know. So. I wouldn't know who they are. I mean, other than the fact that they're like six, seven or, you know, six, seven to seven feet tall. Sure. I'd be like, oh, that guy's probably a basketball player. But um, it says here, you know, on a little blog that the reason that the games are later is for the fans right to get off of work sort of thing and a lot of the nhl owners own the arenas in which the teams play and so they also um are making money a lot of money on merchandise and concessions and that kind of thing which drives another question yeah. it costs how much you know not that i'm drinking beer but how much does it cost for a beer at the at a king's game nowadays like I bought a coffee and a hot dog at the Florida game. It was uh, twenty bucks. Yeah, the aren't the beers like thirty bucks now? Thirty bucks a pound? I, I don't know if they're thirty, but yeah, they're up there, aren't they? Poof. Yeah. Poof. That's just I mean, silly. That's, that's probably it, right? Um, but I don't, man. You know, do, you know, put a more engaging television product out, and then you're gonna get. I don't know, like how many times people have tickets to a game, and they're at work. They they say, hey. I got I to gotta take it to the game tonight. I, I got to get off early. Don't, isn't that how it goes? So I don't well, think it matters anyhow. I mean, yeah, in LA it does because it's going to take you two hours to get to the game, right? No matter where you're at. 
<clears throat> well, we started. I think we started this episode strong and finished strong. Um, the game on Thursday night against Florida, you know, there is always ad. There's always adversity when Keith Kachuk is in the building, or not Keith. Um, Matthew Kachuk is in the building. That guy. Um, would you? Who's worse, Matthew Kachuk or Brad Marchand? Who's uh? Who's worse in in the most annoying, like get under your skin, annoying. like I can't stand that guy sort of way? Who's the more like? Who's like the more? Yeah, who's the more annoying agitator? That's a good question. Kachuk's always. It seems like he's always in some sort of skirmish after a whistle. Marchand, I feel. It. I feel like Matthew Kachuk is the more annoying player. Uh, Brad Marchand, I think, is. Uh, you know he he can he can be a pest, but I, I think he's a pest in a way that it's it's almost exclusively hockey based. He's annoying you because he's putting the puck in the net and he's doing good things out there. Every now and then, you know, he'll he'll chirp, but it's I feel like it's more hockey based than Matthew Kachuk's annoyingness is hockey based. I feel like Matthew Kachuk is really making it a point to go out there and be the annoying guy to play against. So who's worse? Who's the more? I feel like Matthew Kachuk is a more on-purpose agitator than Marchand is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Marchand is, I mean, he's definitely getting under the skin of his of his opponents. But I really feel like, you know, Matthew Kachuk, as good as he is, you know, he, he's kind of cheap. You know what I mean? Like dirty and, you know what I mean? Like taking su- suckering guys like up against the glass and stuff like that. And I mean, I don't think, you know, I, at some point, does that rub off on your teammates the wrong way? I mean, he, maybe he's the type of guy that you love to have on your team. And just when he's on your team, it's a different story, but you don't want to be playing against them. Right. Um, but, you know, I also kind of saw the body language of like Barkov, who's their captain. And it's like, okay, we just got to deal with, you know, we got to deal with this, you know, constant, like he's going to go in, he's going to stir the pot and then we got to go protect him because he's probably not going to be able to stand up for himself. Yeah. I think that happens a lot. Uh, I don't think Matthew Kachuk is super interested in w- uh, when someone really gets fed up and they want to go. I don't think he really wants to go. Zach Cassian is a prime example of that, although th- which is interesting about that skirmish when Kachuk was on Calgary was that was a clean hit and Cassian got bent anyway. Um, but I'll say this about Matthew Kachuk. I'll put him over for this. Uh, when he when they made their run last year in the, to the Stanley Cup finals and he was on the talk shows and he was on – NBA on TNT and he was doing the interviews. He did a real good job and he could be one of the guys that, you know, if the NHL wants to take their, the television entertainment to the next level, he could be a guy that they could, they could, uh, that they could spotlight and he would, he would do a good job. I think he, if we're comparing Kachuk and Marchand, Kachuk would be a better guy to put on television, I think, than Brad Marchand. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He did do a good job. Um, in his television, you know, appearances when they made it to the finals last year. And uh, any predictions for the uh, game on Monday in Arizona, score-wise? I know that they want to beat us. I know they want to beat us. They've always want. They always want. <clears throat> they always want to beat us, and we pump show them a lot. Although last game was a comeback win, right? But I know that's on the back of their mind, uh, and they are playing good hockey. Uh, at least insofar as they, they've gotten some wins. Boy, uh, it's hard to 
to bet against the Kings right now, all things considered, with the way they played in those last two games, it's real hard to do. And I think that we just have Arizona's number. I think we're better from top to bottom. Um, I'll probably say 4-2. I'll tell you what, what I'm looking forward to, though, is I think after uh, Arizona, uh, do we go into Anaheim? I think we go into Anaheim, and I think they're looking forward to that. And they got a couple – they added a bunch of toughness, Anaheim did. And I think they're I think they're chomping at the bit to show us how – what a – how much tougher they are to play against this year than opposed to last year. So those are two interesting games back to back for us. Yeah, absolutely. Two. And then, then they got the Habs on Saturday and, and, you know, it's funny. We're talking about the times. These games are all early, early times. So you got 6 PM in Phoenix Pacific time. And then the day after Thanksgiving on Friday, the Kings are playing in Anaheim at 1230 and 1 PM on Saturday again at home against the Habs. Um, but, have the Kings ever been very good at day game times? It always uh, seems. It doesn't seem like it. Historically, it doesn't seem like it, right? Seems like we're always just a little slow to start, which is what we talked about on the show. That's not. That's not good for us. We need a good oh. start. Right? So, um, well, we'll see what happens. You know, it is a new team. Back then, we had. Uh, I think we're, you know, we're a little older, uh, and we had guys. You know, Jonathan Quick. I think it's documented. He don't like waking up. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I, you know what? For me, for fans' sake, I'm excited about it, though. I'm, I'll take the early times. Yeah, I love it, man. Absolutely, especially the, the nice uh, Thanksgiving weekend to have a couple, a couple midday, Kings games to get you going. Sure. That's awesome. Well, man, great, uh, great job today. Great chatting with you. Kings are playing well. It's fun to watch. Um, you know, in in concluding, I'd say, I was listening to something beforehand and. It was this guy from Nike who wanted to go, you know, he was helping out Kobe at his camp. And so, you know, the meat and potatoes of, of athletes is, is a lot, uh, it's a lot of the work they put in behind the scenes. Right. And I think, you know, we get to see all of that work come to fruition during a game. And so this, this guy from Nike wanted to go see Kobe practice. And so he's like, all right, when, when are you going to practice tomorrow? I want to come. Oh yeah, we'll be there at four. I'll be there at four. Okay, cool. Well, wait a second. I think the camp starts at three thirty. He said, and he's like, "No, four a.m." And so he's like, "Seriously?" He's like, "Yeah, I'll be there at four a.m." So the guy shows up at four a.m. and Kobe's already drenched in sweat, like he got there early and he's been working. And then he watched him work out for forty-five minutes, and he was doing the basics, like the most basic footwork drills, the most basic dribbling drills, the most basic shooting drills. And he's like, "Man, you're the best player in the world!" Like. And you're doing the ba- and you're doing the basics. And he's like, "Why do you think I'm the best player in the world?" You know, like, yeah, that's great. That's great stuff. So I think the Kings got to just stick to the basics. Keep doing the things that are working. Such is life. Such yeah. is life. It really is the basics. You know, it's like beyond food, water, air, and shelter. You know, there's there's really you just handle what's in front of you. That's the most basic thing. Whatever it is that is presented to you. That's what you deal with. And let's not worry about anything else beyond that because it's out of our control. We can't control people. We can hardly control situations. Just handle what's in front of you. Handle the most basics of life and we should be all right. Yeah. The John Wooden adage, right? Your your effort and your attitude, right? Those are the things that you have control over. Um, And there's one thing too, like I've, I've picked up and I know not everybody eats meat, but I think everybody should have their beefs, which is breathing eating, exercising, focusing, and sleeping. Like if you do those five things and you do them well, like you're going to be, 
in a good spot, breathing, focusing, and in a distracted world, you know what I mean? It's harder and harder to focus. And that's what, you know, is, uh, is rough. So yeah, great, uh, great job today. Uh, great catching up with you talking Kings hockey, man. I appreciate you. All right, Mark. Go Kings go baby. All right, brother. See ya.